that as we will be meeting once again on Sunday, 8, 9, 30, 11, going through Matthew's gospel, moving into chapter 22 of Matthew. Father, we ask that you'd bless this time in the study of your word. We thank you for the privilege of being able to go through these books of the Bible that largely get missed. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, there's so much there for us. And, and tonight, as we finish Ezekiel, you have a message for us as we make application. And Lord, we know this is our future. We know that this is part of the restoration of Israel that will take place in the millennium reign. And I just pray that we would be stirred in our hearts once again of what is coming, the glorious plan that you have for the church, also for the restoration of Israel, uh, physical and spiritual restoration, and that, Lord, we get to rule and reign with you in the millennium reign. And uh, it's such a glorious thing to think about. May it stir our hearts and just, um, just press upon us to live for you now. And so, Lord, we give you this time to study of our word in Jesus' name. I do want to remind you that there are many that are out there today that are going to tell you that there is going to be no millennium reign. All millennialist, all means no. And um, it's interesting because the Bible talks a whole lot. And we've gone over whole chapters, many, many uh, verses, dozens upon dozens of verses that speak of that time when the Lord's going to rule and reign. Speaking of that time when, when Israel is going to uh, be back in the land and, and be restored, not only physically as a nation, but also spiritually as well. And the Lord's going to reign from Jerusalem. And, and that's part of what we've been reading about going through chapters 40 through 48. Is, that is talking about the restoration of Israel and the millennial temple and the Levites and the priests and, and the city and the prince that's going to be there which we believe is David. And we've been talking about specifically, you and I as a church, we get to rule and reign with the Lord. And in Revelation chapter 5, in that heavenly scene, we're going to be standing before the Lord and we're going to be singing that song, out of every tribe, tongues, people, and nation, you have redeemed us by your blood. That's the song of the church. And we're going to reign with the Lord here on the earth for a thousand years and it's such a glorious, glorious thing. But there will be those who will come along and they will tell you, no, there's no millennium reign. It's interesting, as you read the early church fathers, every one of the writings of the early church fathers believed that, that the millennium kingdom was going to come, the millennium reign of Jesus Christ, because they learned it from the apostles who learned it from Jesus. So there is a millennium reign coming of Jesus Christ at the end of the tribulation period when he touches down on the Mount of Olives, and then he will usher in the kingdom. It will include this millennial temple that will be in Jerusalem on God's holy mountain. And we have seen the dimensions and the details of it. Uh, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, that will be ministering before the Lord, and the other uh, Levites that will be ministering before the people. All these different things that we've been looking about. And also we see those things concerning Jerusalem. And that's what we're going to be starting to look at once again in chapter 45 as we look at the holy district. Let's begin in verse 1 of the chapter. Moreover, when you divide the land by lot into inheritance, you shall set apart a district for the Lord, a holy section of the land. Its length shall be 25,000 cubits. And it's with 10,000, it shall be holy throughout its territory all around. 
So there's going to be a holy district that will be set aside. It's about eight and a half by eight and a half square miles. And there shall be a square uh, plot, verse 2, for the sanctuary, 500 by 500 rods and 50 cubits around it for an open space. So as we go through this, we're going to see that this square is going to be divided up into three sections. In the center is going to be eight and a half by three and a half miles wide. There's the sanctuary that will be located, the sanctuary that we read about in detail in the previous chapters. And the priests are going to live there as well. In verse 3, so this is the district, you shall measure 25,000 cubits long and 10,000 wide, and it shall be the sanctuary, the most holy place. It shall be a holy section of the land belonging to the priests, the ministers of the sanctuary who come near to minister to the Lord. It shall be a place for their houses and a holy place for the sanctuary. Verse 5, an area 25,000 cubits long and 10,000 wide shall belong to the Levites, the ministers of the temple. They shall have 20 chambers as a possession. And you shall appoint, verse 6 tells us, as the property of the city, an area 5,000 cubits wide and 25,000 long adjacent to the district of the holy section. It shall belong to the whole house of Israel. So these dimensions are given to us, the holy district, and then where um, the Jews are going to live. Just so you know, when you go to, to Israel, you're kind of in the millennium reign. When you go to Jerusalem, that you kind of know how things are set up. There's going to be that area for the Levites that will live there and minister for the Lord. And one of the things that, as I think about this, I do want to make application as we go through this, because you know that we've talked about the Levites and the priests. Every priest was a Levite, but not every Levite was a priest. As you look at the Levitical priesthood of the Old Testament, and the Levites assisted the priests there at the temple, and as David was preparing for the temple for his son Solomon to to build, that it tells us that the Levites did all manner of service. They did all manner of work. They, they uh, were their ministers at the temple and helping and assisting the priests. And I, I like that because when you go to the New Testament, you have the deacons who were responsible in, in providing for the widows and in setting tables, the practical duties, doing all manner of ministry that is there. You know, really, in a sense, that, that that's what we're to do, to be helping out in practical ways. And we have different spiritual gifts that we use. But, but I think that as I, I look at that, here's the thing. The Levites were to, to live around where the Lord, and we saw the glorious verse as we are in chapter 43 and 44, that when the Lord comes back and the millennial temple is there, that the glory of the Lord filled the temple. That's such a wonderful verse to read in chapter 43. It was like the appearance of the vision I saw as Ezekiel. The vision which I saw, I came to, you know, when I came to the city, and the glory of the Lord came into the temple by way of the gate that faces to the east. But also he writes that as he heard the voice of the Lord, like the sound of many waters, that should remind us of Revelation chapter 1, when John saw the resurrected Lord, and the earth shone with his glory. Isn't that marvelous? The whole earth is going to shone, is going to shine with his glory. 
And, and so here are the Levites. They are close to the Lord. And for any of us that are ministering in practical ways, stay close to the Lord. That is such a key, especially in the days in which we are living in. And then there's a third section that will be for the, where the Jews are going to live there in this holy district in verses 7 and 8. The prince shall have a section on one side and the other the holy district in the city's property in bordering on the holy district of the city's property, extending westward on the west side and the eastward on the east side, the length shall be side by side, and one of the tribal portions from the west border to the east border. The land shall be his possession in Israel, and my princes shall have more oppress, shall no more oppress my people, but they shall give the rest of the land to the house of Israel according to their tribe. So we'll see the, the allotments that will be divided up when we finish Ezekiel here of the, the tribes of Israel. The Levites live in this holy district. In the tabernacle in the wilderness, you know that there were three tribes on the north side when they camped, three on the east, three on the south, three on the west side. And the Levites lived close to the tabernacle. And we see something kind of similar in the millennium reign when we're going to see that the Levites will be here in this holy district, but then the other 12 tribes, and that is Joseph, who had Ephraim and Manasseh, that they will be a part of the 12 tribes of the allotment. So just a reminder of that. But here we see the prince portion of the land that extends eastward and westward. And this section will extend to the west to the Mediterranean Sea and east to the Jordan River. We read in verse 9, again, I'm going to highlight it. Thus says the Lord God, enough, O princes of Israel, remove violence and plundering, Execute justice and righteousness and stop dispossessing my people, says the Lord God. You shall have honest scales and an honest ephod and an honest bath. So as you go through there, it talks about these measurements. And you can look at that in detail. The ephod and the mouth, uh, the bath that is, shall be the same measure. The shekel talks about the shekel. The ephod from a homer of wheat, one-sixth of an you know, ephod. So all of that is, is there shall be honesty. Um, the princes were to be honest, not like what we, that we have seen going through Ezekiel at the time as they would go into captivity by Babylon. And, of course, we looked at the indictment against the civil leaders who were corrupt and they were ripping each other off and, and all of this. In the millennium reign, they will be honest. We also know that Isaiah says that during the millennial reign, not only will the glory of the Lord be shown throughout the whole earth, but righteousness will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. And they, you know, in a time where they were greedy and fleecing the flock, now they are to use their skills and for honesty. And Ezekiel defines those measurements that you can take a look at. But let's go down to verse 15. One lamb shall be given from a flock of 200 from the rich pastors of Israel. These shall be a grain offerings, burnt offerings, and peace offerings to make atonement for them, says the Lord God. All the people of the land shall give this offering for the prince in Israel. And verse 17, then it shall be the prince's part to give burnt offerings, grain offerings, and drink offerings at the feast, the new moons, the Sabbaths, and all the appointed seasons of the house of Israel. He shall prepare the sin offering, the grain offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings that make atonement for the house of Israel. 
Keep in mind that these sacrifices, these offerings are all in memorial to the Lord during the millennium reign. And speaking about the offerings that the people are to give, and they will be, you know, collected uh, to their maintain at the temple and for the temple sacrifices. And then in verse 18, thus says the Lord God, in the first month of the first day of the month, you shall take a young bull without blemish and cleanse the sanctuary. The priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering and put it on the doorposts of the temple and on the four corners of the ledge of the altar and on the gateposts of the gate of the inner court. And so you shall do on the seventh um, uh, day of the month for everyone who has sinned unintentionally or in ignorance that she shall make atonement for the temple. You know, it, it isn't going to be where those who are living in their fleshly bodies that they're going to be without sin. There is still going to be uh, death that we talked about. It's going to be rare. Uh, there is going to be rebellion. We're going to see, we see that in Revelation chapter 20, that last rebellion against the Lord when Satan is let out for a little bit. And there is going to be those who sin unintentionally or in ignorance. You shall make atonement for the temple. Verse 21, in the first month of the 14th day of the month, you shall observe the Passover, a feast of seven days, unleavened bread shall be eaten. And on that day the prince shall prepare for himself and for all the people of the land a bowl for his sin offerings. And on the seven days of the feast he shall prepare a burnt offering to the Lord, seven bowls and seven rams without blemish, daily for seven days, and a kid of the goats, daily for sin offering. And he shall prepare a grain offering of one ephod, for each bull and one ephah for each ram, together with a hint of oil for each ephah. And in the seventh month, on the fifteenth day of the month, at the feast they shall do likewise for seven days according to the sin offering, the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the oil. So speaking of here the uh, cleansing of the temple and the ceremonial cleansing of the people during the millennium reign, and they will keep the feast, we are told, Passover and unleavened bread, and the seven-day feast of tabernacle there, as we read in verse 25. I want to read to you, and I think I've made mention of this in Zechariah, that speaks about how we're going to celebrate uh, the uh, feast of tabernacles during the millennial reign. And it's, there's an interesting verse, and again, to read it to you, that... Um, that it will be that it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in all of the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And then there is a punishment that is proclaimed for those who do not do that. And so you can read that at the end of the book of Zechariah in chapter 14. So we will be celebrating. There will be the celebration of the feast. Even the nations come up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was one of three major feasts that took place in the fall. There's Passover, Pentecost, and then in Feast of Tabernacles where the people would come and they would live in little, it was also called the Feast of Booths. They would live in little tents, little tabernacles, and they would remember how the Lord brought them through the wilderness wandering and into the promised land. And the fathers would talk to their children about it, how the Lord you know, brought them through the wilderness and as they slept under the stars. For 40 years we were under the stars and, and we didn't have that homeland until... Uh, the, we came into the promised land that the Lord had given to us. 
And I think that's a good thing for us to remember, to tell our children how the Lord brought you out of Egypt, out of the world, and into you know, a, a life of, uh, of blessing, into a life where the Lord says, I want to give you life and life abundantly. And that life abundantly is a life of blessing and wisdom and light and strength, those things, the spiritual blessings that are ours. And to tell our children, to tell others of the faithfulness and the goodness of Lord of bringing us out of the bondage of the world and into that which we are now free in Christ to live for him. So chapter 46, we're going to speak about uh, not only the feast to be observed in Israel, but some information on daily aspect of Israel's worship. As we read in verse 1, Thus says the Lord God, the gateway of the inner court that faces towards the east shall be shut the six working days. But on the Sabbath it shall be open, and on the day of the new moon it shall be open. The prince shall enter by way of the festival or the porch of the gateway from the outside and stand by the gatepost. The priest shall prepare his burnt offerings and his peace offerings. He shall worship at the threshold of the gate. Then he shall go out by the gate, shall not be shut until evening. Verse 3, likewise, the people of the land shall worship at the entrance to this gateway before the Lord in the Sabbath and the new moons. The burnt offerings that the prince offers to the Lord on the Sabbath day shall be six lambs without blemish and a ram without blemish. And the grain offering shall be one ephah of a ram, and the grain offering of the lambs as much as he wants to give, as well as a hen of oil with every ephod. And on the day of the new moon it shall be a young bull without blemish, six lambs, a ram they shall be without blemish. Verse 7, he shall prepare a grain offering for the ephod for a bull, uh, ephah for a ram, as much as he wants to give for the lamb and a hen of oil f- with every ephah. And when the prince enters, the, he shall go by the way of the festival of the gateway and go out the same way. So here we see in uh, chapter 46 that the prince using the east gate. Now some say that the prince is Jesus. But we have identified the prince as David. Again, I make reference to you can go back and look at Ezekiel 37 verse 25 that tells us the prince David. And I believe it is David because verse 22 of the previous chapter that we read, that the prince shall prepare for himself and for all the people of the land a bull of a sin offering. So he prepares a sin offering which shows me that this is not Christ. So the east gate, the east gate, there's an emphasis of the east gate where the Lord will come through and enter into the gate. He's the only one that is allowed to enter into the gate from, you know, from the outer court to the inner court. It's going to be closed six days of the week, but on the Sabbath day, the new moon, it will be open. And the people, verse 3 that we read, shall worship the Lord at the entrance of the gate. And the sacrifices and offerings shall be prepared by the prince. So it's there at the porch of the gate that all of that is being done. But as the Lord is in the temple, and again, in the temple, as we've seen in the sanctuary, that there's, there's not the shoe bread table, there's not the altar of incense, there's not the menorah, there's not the Ark of the Covenant. It's just a wooden table that is before the Lord. And then in verse 9, And when the people of the land came before the Lord on the appointed feast days, Whoever enters by way of the north gate to worship shall go out by the south gate. Whoever enters by the way of the south gate shall go out by the way of the north gate. He shall not return by way of the gate through which he came, but shall go out through the opposite gate. And then the prince shall then be in their midst. 
When they go in, he shall go in, and when they go out, he shall go out. So the worshipers shall enter in through the north and south gates. There's no west gate, but through the north and south gate. If you enter in from the south, you're going to exit to the north. If you enter in from the north, you exit through the south. Kind of like when we had COVID restrictions. Remember they're telling us that if you open up your building and have limited amount of people, they have to come in one way, they have to go out the other way. Uh, there's, you know, don't let them use the same entrance. And so we went to restaurants, we went to places of business, and you had to enter in one way and went out the other way. That's what it reminds me of. But, but here we, we can make the application that there is order. God is a God of order. And there's application to for us because the Lord is showing us that we should never leave a worship time and and that includes when we gather here corporately the worship on Sunday morning in the same way that we came in that we should leave sometimes you know you know this that that you come and and you know things are on our hearts and on our minds and weigh on us and we come in and we're not sure and we begin to worship and we hear the word we should leave with joy and excitement there should be a change in our lives the lord touching our hearts so we should leave differently than when we come into this place i hope and pray that we don't have the mindset of oh church again can't wait till it's over i'm hungry i hope we get a seat at texas roadhouse you know, whatever. I, I pray that we truly are changed because we met with the Lord here and we worshiped him and heard his word. But in verse 11 of chapter 46, at the festivals of the appointed feast days, the grain offering shall be an ephod for a bull, an ephod for a ram, as much as he wants to give for the lambs and a hen of oil with every ephod. Now, when the prince makes a voluntary burnt offering or voluntary peace offering to the Lord, those are fellowship offerings you know, um, to the Lord. The gate that faces towards the east shall then be opened for him. And he shall prepare his burnt offering and his peace offering as he did on the Sabbath day. Then he shall go out to the, after he goes out the gate, shall be shut. And as we continue reading in verse 13, you shall daily make a burnt offering to the Lord of a lamb of the first year without blemish. You shall prepare it every morning. And you shall prepare a grain offering with it every morning, a sixth of the ephod, a third of a hen of oil to moisture in the fine flour. The grain offering is a perpetual ordinance to be made regularly to the Lord. And thus you shall prepare the lamb, the grain offering, and the oil as a regular burnt offering every morning. So the prince desires to make a freewill offering to the Lord. The gate facing east to be, is to be opened to him. And after the prince leaves, the gate is to be closed again. Verse 16, thus says the Lord God, if the prince gives a gift of some of his inheritance to any of his sons, take note of that, it shall belong to his sons in their possession by inheritance. This is the prince having sons. This is another reason I believe that this is not Jesus, that he has sons. Some make an a, a argument that it's not David because David will be in his glorified body and, and will he have sons? Is it just talking about uh, the distant, you know, um, you know uh, genealogy down the line of David? Um, or it could be, and some have suggested, that the prince is not David. Uh, it's somebody that's like David, but, but it's not the Lord. Um, and as we read here, that the inheritance to his sons. But if he gives a gift of some of his inheritance to one of his servants... It shall be his until the year 
of liberty, after which it shall return to the prince, but as an inheritance shall belong to his sons, it shall become heirs. And moreover, the prince shall not take any of the people's inheritance by evicting them from their property. He shall provide an inheritance for his sons from his own property, so that none of, the, of my people may be scattered from his property. So interesting here, if he gives anything to his servants, this prince, it is theirs until the year of liberty or jubilee, which according to Leviticus chapter 25 took place every 50 years. So every 50 years all debt was to be forgiven, wiped clean, property reflected back to the original landowner. So the prince is not to take people's properties, oppress the people, and um, the thing that I get from here in these verses 16 through 18 is that we are sons and daughters of Christ and we have a heavenly inheritance that is ours and it's so glorious, it's going to be so wonderful we can't comprehend it. In verse 19, now he brought me through the entrance which was by the side of the gate into the holy chambers of the priests which faced towards the north and there was a place that was situated at the extreme western end. And he said to me, this is the place where the priest shall boil the trespass offering and the sin offering and where they shall bake the grain offering so that they do not bring them out of the order court, outer court, that is, to sanctify the people. Verse 21, then he brought me out into the outer court and caused me to pass by the four corners of the court. And in fact, every corner of the court, there was another court. And the four corners of the court were enclosed courts 40 cubits long and 30 wide. All four corners were the same size. And there was a row of building stones all around them, all around them, four of them, and cooking uh, hearths were made under the rows of stones all around. And he said to me, these are the kitchens where the ministers of the temple shall boil the sacrifices of the people. So adjacent to the temple proper were kitchens of the priests located in the western inn, and the kitchens for the sacrifices of the people will be in the four corners of the outer court. Let's move into chapter 47. As we move into chapter 47, that we read, Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, and the front temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple, south of the altar. He brought me out of the way of the north gate and led me around the outside of the outer gate that faces east, and there was water running out on the right side. Now this is interesting. And when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits, and he brought me through the waters. The waters came up to my ankles. And then he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters. The waters came up to my knees. And again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through the water, came up to my waist. And again, he measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross, for the water was too deep, water in which one must swim, a river that he could not be crossed. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me back to the bank of the river. So here is, during Christ's range, keep in mind that the topography is going to change. Um, and the temple is going to be on this holy mountain. Um, the Mount of Olives is going to split in half. And keep in mind also that when Christ comes back, at the end of the tribulation period, the waters have been poisoned because of the bull judgments. The green you know, grass and trees have burnt up. I mean, it's, it's going to be horrible. And then the death of men uh, that will take place in the battle of Armageddon. Uh, 
It will be just great destruction, devastation, tribulation, Jesus said, such as the world has never seen or will ever see again. And as the temple, Millennium Temple is built, we, we looked at the measurement of the altar, but just next to the altar, water is going to come up from the Temple Mount area from there, and it's going to flow to the west, to the Mediterranean. It's going to flow to the east, to the Dead Sea. And the water's being polluted. These are the healing waters, is what we're reading about, that's going to heal the waters of the world. And as we read this, it's very interesting that we're going to read about what the, the waters do. Let's, let's continue to read that. And then I want to make a very important application. So don't, don't tune out on me because this is, I think, just an important application for us to, to consider. But in verse 7, when I returned there along the bank of the river were many trees on one side and the other. And then he said to me, the water flows towards the eastern region goes down into the valley and enters the sea. And when it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves, whatever the rivers will go, will live. There will be very great multitude of fish because these waters go there, for they will be healed and everything will live wherever the river goes. It shall be, listen, that fishermen will stand by it from En Gedi to En Eglam, they shall be places for spreading their nets. Their fish will be of the same kinds of the fish of the great sea, exceedingly many. But its swamps and marshes will not be healed. They will be given over to salt. Along the bank of the river, on the side, will, will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because the waters flow from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be food and their leaves for medicine. So the rivers that flow in Israel, Jerusalem right now, when most cities were built all through history, they would build those cities, and most great cities were built either in a port um, that ships could come in or by a river. Uh, even here in America, you know, as you look at the 250 to 300 years that, that we began to, to come into the land, when cities were built, like New York by port, Boston, um, you know, the cities were built by rivers. Um, and, and that was important. It was an important water source. It's interesting. Jerusalem, that's 3,000 years old, there's no river in Jerusalem right now. There's no port in Jerusalem. Uh, it's, it's built in the mountains. And during the millennium reign, there's going to be this river that's going to come from the sanctuary from just north of the altar and it's going to go westward to the Mediterranean and heal the waters of the world and then to the Dead Sea. Now the Dead Sea is about right now from Jerusalem about 25 miles, 30 miles. It's the lowest point on the face of the earth. There's no life in the Dead Sea because the water flows from the Jordan from the Sea of Galilee down the Jordan River to the lowest point on the face of the earth. There's nowhere for the water to, to run. So you see it's usually hazy there because of the evaporation. And because of the salts and because it's very heavily salted, the Dead Sea, much more than the ocean. So when you go into the Dead Sea, you have to be careful. You don't want to put your eyes in there because it'll burn your eyes. You don't want to swallow it because it can really do damage to your lungs. Uh, you want to be very careful. And you can just kind of float in the Dead Sea because 
of the salt, you, you, you won't sink. And, and so people go there and they just float around. It's kind of an eerie feeling. And you come out and there's oily. And if you have any cuts or anything, it will burn. It's, a, it's an incredible experience to do that. And many of you that, you know, many people here at Calvary, in the years of the trips that we've gone, we always go to the Dead Sea and spend time floating in the Dead Sea. It's just once-in-a-lifetime experience. But the Dead Sea is going to have fish in it. It's going to be healed. There's going to be exceedingly many fishes. There's going to be fishermen that are going to be spreading their nets. The topography is going to be different. And here's the thing. Isaiah talks about how the desert is going to bloom. He talks about in the millennium rain how things are going to turn green. We hear a lot about climate change. We're hearing a lot about drought right now. We're hearing a lot about uh, you know, heat waves and we're concerned, aren't we? We're concerned we might run out of water, Lake Powell, how low it is, and the water supply in California. And those are all concerns that our leaders are looking at. But in the millennium reign, the Lord is going to be the ultimate environmentalist. And the, and the, the, the climate's going to be different. Everything's going to be different. It's going to be wonderful. The land's going to be healed as well. But I want us to, to make a couple of very important applications here. Number one, notice that life, the healing flows from the house of God. Will you always remember that? It's not flowing from Washington, D.C. It's not flowing from the Knesset there in Jerusalem. It's not flowing from the Vatican. That healing, listen flows from the house of the Lord. And that's why it's so important for us to gather here, to come to him, those of us who thirst. As Jesus said, come to me if you thirst. Drink of the living waters. And out of your innermost will flow torrents of living water. He says, I'm the bread that came from heaven. Come eat of me. But it's in this place as we gather together, as we come here to hear his word and to Worship him. That's, that's where healing is going to take place. And I don't want us to ever to diminish the importance of the church and the house of the Lord here and us gathering together because I want to encourage you that you be here as much as you can. And I don't want to be insensitive to those who are shut-ins or those who can't make it, those who have to work. I understand those things, but as much as you can, be in fellowship be with other believers. Don't forsake the assembly of ourselves together as the matter of sun, especially as you see the day approaching. There's famine in the land right now. And there is difficulties. And not only is there drought literally in our nation, but there's drought spiritually that has taken place. And the healing's going to come when we gather here. As you go to the Lord personally, of course. And it starts there. And when we gather here, there's healing that flows from this house of the Lord. Bring people here to hear the gospel. Bring them to church to hear the truth. So the healing that flows from the Lord, but also as we see that Ezekiel here, he's told to go into the waters of the river, and it came up to his ankles. And then he would go about a third of a mile, a thousand cubits, and it would be up to his knees and then up to his waist. And then it was over his head. He, you know, um, it was deep enough for him to swim. So the question, listen, is this. How deep do you want to go in the Lord? How deep do you want to go in the Lord?
As I think about the ankle deep, it speaks of walking with the Lord. Make sure that you're walking in the Spirit. The knees, he went up to his knees, speaking of a life of prayer, getting on our knees and praying before God, praying for, for our families, praying for our children, praying for our nation. Up to the waist, it, it speaks of having our loins girded with truth, of being a man, a woman of truth. And then over our heads, just saying, Lord, I want you to have all of me and all of my heart. And if your life is feeling dry, then walk in the Spirit, be praying, be about the truth, surrender to the Lord every area of your life, and you'll see the healing waters that take place in your heart. And I pray that's an encouragement. You don't want to just go ankle deep. You want to go knee deep. You want to go waist deep. You want to say, Lord, here's my life so I can experience that abundant life that you have for me and the living waters that will flow from me. And then as we continue reading here in verse 47, in verse 7, when I returned there along the bank of the river were many trees on one side. And, and, and we looked at all of this. You know, it, it's just amazing. And, and the fishermen and and as it heals once again, and the trees that are there for fruit, for medicine, it's just going to be glorious. Let's go to verse 13 now. In verses 13 and in chapter 48, there's a lot of division of the land. So I'm not going to read all the cubits and the lengths and all of that, but let's look at it and kind of sum it up. Thus says the Lord God, these are the borders by which you shall divide the land as an inheritance among the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph shall have two portions. You shall inherit it equally with one another, for I raise my hand and oath to give it to your fathers, and this land shall fall to you as your inheritance. And then he begins to give, it shall be a border on the land of the north, and by the great sea, and he goes on and he begins to talk about the boundaries that are there. Uh, verse 18, you note, on the east side shall mark out the border between uh, Haran and Damascus. Damascus, we know where that is. In Syria, verse 19, the south side towards the south shall be from Tamar to the waters of Meribah. And then the west side shall be the Great Sea, that is the Mediterranean, from the southern boundary until it comes to a point opposite Hamath. This is the west side. And verse 21, you shall divide this land among yourselves according to the tribes of Israel. It shall be that you will divide it by lot as an inheritance of yourselves. And for the strangers who dwell among you, who bear children among you, they shall be to you as native-born among the children of Israel. They shall have inheritance with you among the tribes of Israel. And it shall be that in whatever tribe the stranger dwells, you shall give him his inheritance, says the Lord God. So as we look at this, the borders of Israel are going to expand. And the borders are similar to what was told to us in Numbers chapter 34. Israel has never possessed all that was told uh, would be given to her. In the millennium reign it will. And the boundaries of the north from the Mediterranean Sea to the south, uh, north up to Tyre and Sidon, over to Damascus, will go southward and eastward to the Jordan River, the Dead Sea, over to the Sinai in Egypt. So it's going to be quite a big bigger as we look at this. And again, Joseph having two portions because he, the two uh, 
children of Joseph were included in the 12 tribes of Israel, Ephraim and Manasseh. Uh, chapter 48, uh, again, the land is distributed among the children of Israel and then regulations for allotting the land to strangers who want to associate and be a part of Israel. Chapter 48, we see um, here the division of the land and that continues that discussion. Now, these are the names of the tribes from the northern border, the road Hethlon at the entrance of Hamath. And so the direction that is given. Uh, verse 2, the border of Dan. Verse 3, of Asher. Verse 4, Naphtali. Manasseh, it goes on, Ephraim, Reuben. By the border of Judah, verse 8, from the east side of the west shall be the districts which you shall set apart 25,000 cubits in width and the length the same as one of the other portions from the east side to the west with the sanctuary in the middle. So dividing the land among the seven tribes, allotments, that will be in the northern part. And then in verse 9, the district you shall set apart for the Lord shall be 25,000 cubits in length and 10,000 in width. You shall say, oh, I know that because we went over that. Remember, uh, we went over that already as we looked at the sanctuary in verse 10 to these, to the priests. The holy district shall belong on the north 25,000 cubits in length and the west 10,000 in width and east 10,000 in width and the south 25,000 in length. The sanctuary of the Lord shall be in the center. So again, as you read verses 8 through 22, it speaks of the land that shall be allotted to the prince that we went over, the priests, the Levites, and the sanctuary, all that we've talked about. And in verse 23... The rest of the tribes from the east side to the west, Benjamin shall have one section to the border of Benjamin from the east side to the west. Simeon shall have one section. So it goes down as you read that all through the 12 tribes of Israel. And we see this is the land which you shall divide by lot as an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. And these are the portions, says the Lord God. So the lower part of the land shall be allotted. Actually, we've looked at the, in verses 1 through 7, the seven tribes up north. Then the central part is going to be the prince, the priests, the Levites, the holy district, the sanctuary. And then in the lower part of the land shall be that we read about. Actually, in verses 23 through 29 is the land that will be allotted to the remaining five tribes, but all 12 tribes that are listed here. And then as we finish the book of Ezekiel, verse 30, these are the exits of the city on the north side measuring 4,500 cubits. The gates of the city shall be named after the tribes of Israel, the three gates northward, one gate Reuben, one gate Judah, and one gate for Levi. So it talks about there on not only northward, but the east side there in verse 32, the south side, and then the west side that is measured and then as we read the last verse, all the way around shall be 18,000 cubits. And the name of the city from that day shall be, the Lord is there. Isn't that glorious? The Lord is there. The gates of the city, 12 gates, three gates on each side. One representing each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Just kind of like it was in the wilderness wandering at the tabernacle. But the difference here is the Lord will be there. They had the Shekinah glory out there in the wilderness. But here the Lord's going to be present. I can't wait. A time of blessing. A time of uh, just incredible, incredible, um, you know, just 
the glory of the Lord, um, the, the righteousness of the Lord. I can't wait for that time. So I hope you enjoyed the book of Ezekiel. Next time we're going to go to Hosea. We'll begin the minor prophets and finish the Old Testament in that way. So Father, we thank you for this study. It took weeks, that took months uh, going through this um, during a time of pandemic through you know, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. But Lord, it's been so rich and so encouraging. And again, we're so thankful that we have this, this future that is ahead for us where the Lord, the glory of the Lord, Lord will, sh- will be shown throughout the whole earth and in the temple. We'll come up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. The Lord to see the, the dimensions and how things are going to be in place. And Lord, we know that this is literal. It's not spiritual. But this will be fulfilled. I pray that it would excite us now. And, Lord, that we remember that this house of the Lord is to be a place of healing that flows. We're living water. People can come and drink. Come drink of you. And, Lord, that we would have a desire in our lives to go deep with you. Lord, to walk with you, to be men and women of prayer, of, of the word. And, Lord, just to, to say, here's my life, Lord. It's not my own. So I thank you for these reminders. And I thank you for the truths that have been given to us. Pray you bless everyone here now. And I pray that you would, Lord, just bring us here again on Sunday where we're blessed and refreshed and renewed and encouraged and edified and built up. That when we come here to hear your word and to worship you, that we would leave differently, more in love with you than when we came in. So Lord, thank you for these important reminders. Bless everyone here and the rest of our week in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Hope to see you on Sunday.